0: Good morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. Children, you can be released to Children's Church. You can make your way right back here. You'll see the ladies in the purple shirt. They'll be there to take you to your classroom. And for the rest, we are going to be continuing in our series through that we just started last week called uh, Are We There Yet? All right, it's, it's the phrase, it's the song that every child has sung on a long road trip are we there yet? How much longer? But it's also the question that, that we began talking about last week that we can hear in churches. Are we there yet? Where are we going? How will we know when we get there? What will it be like? How much further? Where is all of that leading? And we talked last week about our mission envisioned vision together as a church is that we are compelled by the gospel to become disciples who make disciples. And and what we were talking about last week is the motivation for why we are on this journey together. It matters. Like we're not just on this journey for for our own sake or to make a big church in the city. And in that, our goal, our purpose is that we are compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel, that we gather together, that we walk in obedience. This is what compels us, what drives us, what should fuel us together as a church. This, the story of God that is told in a four-part narrative of the creation, fall, redemption, restoration, the song that we sing together. This is because I'm such a visual person you'll see a graphic on the screen like this is how when I think of our mission statement how the gospel is what motivates us that's what compels us both to become disciples and it's the gospel that compels us to make disciples but the thing that's the same in both of those statements is disciples what are we becoming what are we making and we need to have a shared definition Right? We need to have a shared destination, because if I say to you that, let's go to Chili's for lunch today. right? Chili's is one of my favorite restaurants. You may disagree. I love Chili's. <laughs> We're going to go to Chili's. You know what I mean by Chili's, I hope. Yeah. The baby back ribs. Like You know what I mean by this. Now, be, we all share that. Now, we leave the parking lot together, and then you see some people turning left and some people turning right, and then by time we get to Chili's, we realize we've all gone to a different place. Some have gone to the one up on Narcosi, others have gone down to St. Cloud, others to John Young Parkway. We've all ended up at a different place. We thought we understood what was meant, but we go to a different location, this is why It matters that we have a shared definition. We need a clear and shared definition of what is a disciple. That's what we're going to talk about today, that we're compelled by the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to become disciples who make disciples. But what does it mean to be a disciple? How are we defining that term? If we are to travel together on this road, desire to end up at the same place together as a church family, then we need a shared definition. And our shared definition is going to come directly from Jesus' final commission to His disciples before He ascended to heaven, to Matthew chapter 28. So I want to invite you to turn there, and as you turn there, I want to open us up in prayer this morning. Lord, I thank you. For this time this morning together and I pray that as we read your word your final commandment in commission to your disciples that is true for us today Lord that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to perceive your word by the power of your spirit this morning would you use your word to transform our lives to transform our minds our hearts our affections Lord. We surrender ourselves to you this morning, under the authority of your word, and in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 28, I want you to look with me at verse 16, and we're going to read then through verse 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's Word. So I want to start... So that there's clarity, our definition of a disciple is this a disciple is someone who worships Jesus through ongoing surrender with obedience to God in everyday life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's why that matters. My fear is you hear that and it's wah 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 wah. Right? a whole bunch of spiritual language that you're like, that's interesting. But my hope is out of this, that you would be able to repeat that, that you would be able to share that with someone in your own words. That if someone came in and said, what does, you talk about discipleship, becoming disciples and making disciples, but what is even a disciple? What does that even mean? That everyone sitting here would have a shared vocabulary to be able to share this. And there's four parts to this definition. Because I'm visual, you're going to see that it's, it's drawn out as well to help us remember. Remember? Others don't care about the visual aspect and it's just the language, but I care about these words. These words were labored over by your elders, the order of them, the the combination of them, that it would help shape us together as a church family and what we are growing to become and what we are seeking to make together. So let me begin with the beginning. A disciple is someone who who worships Jesus. This hexagonal shape in every, like I have it, it's in signs, it's on, you'll see this everywhere. And it's because I want it to be a reminder and to help remind us of how we go about constructing and understanding what a disciple is. The upward part of this hexagon that's pointing vertically up is that a disciple is someone who worships Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 17. The disciples, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. This was the response of a disciple. This was the, the immediate reaction was to worship Jesus. They saw him, they worshiped him. Discipleship is not about us. It's not just about us becoming a better person, to be an improved version of ourself. Discipleship is about our lives reflecting the glory of our Creator. That is what the goal of discipleship is. That is the the fuel and the motivation. It is also the foundation, is the glory of God. Discipleship begins with worshiping Jesus. It begins on our knees. As Tim Keller says, you don't get to decide what you worship right? Everybody worships something. You here this morning, you are worshiping something. The only choice you have is what you worship. See, worship is is what we value. It's what we treasure above and beyond anything else. Some have given their lives, we can say whatever we want to say about what we worship, but what do we serve? What do we value? What do we treasure? It reminds me of our series that we just completed, A Fight for Joy. We can worship at the fountain of living waters that is God, that only He can satisfy. Or we can go to our own broken cisterns that we've built with our own hands and lap in the dirt and die of dehydration. And yet for many of us, we continue in our worship of things that kill. We can worship money. We seek it. We serve it. We pray for it. We save it. And yet it never satisfies. It's always more. I just need a little bit more. Like it reminds me, if you've ever seen Veggie Tales, right? Bob the tomato, Larry the cucumber. One of my favorite scenes is is Bob the tomato looks to Larry the cucumber and he's like, Larry, how much stuff do you need to be happy? And Larry the cucumber's like, I don't know how much stuff is there? Right? Like, that's sometimes the question. It doesn't satisfy. It it causes us to always want more, longing, and yet we worship it and we give our lives to it. We can give our lives to, to beauty, our bodies, our sexuality. To, but every year, youthfulness grows further and further away in the rearview mirror on the road of our life. Every new wrinkle is a devastating reality, that youthfulness is fleeting. And we serve it and we strive for it, and we treasure it, and we want to hold on to it. And yet it moves further and further away. We can long for power, control over our world, we can worship it, our surroundings, but in the end, we become a prisoner of fear, the unknown a new covid variant they all become bars that hold us inside the prison of fear in a world that we are desperately seeking to control and it grows further and further into chaos and it and our desire for power and control imprisons us in fear we can seek to serve ourselves we worship ourselves Rather than surrendering to God, we want to surrender to our own conclusion of what's right and what's wrong, our own conclusion of what we think is love, what we think is empathy. That's the right decision. And we bow our knee only to our own desire. But in the end, we find ourselves isolated from everyone else, enslaved to our own heart that chases after the wind by our own untamed desires. And we find ourselves untethered to anything and anyone alone. Or as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We have hearts that worship him, that are surrendered to him, that would say above money, above self, above power, above all of these things, I worship the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where the heart of a disciple begins. But what I I want you to see something else in this passage, because we're going to talk about what does that mean? Like, what does it mean then to worship Jesus? What I want you to see first is notice how this passage continues. The 11 disciples, when they saw him, they worshiped him, comma, and some doubted. They didn't have to add that. They could have left that part out. There's something comforting in this that I want us to see. Like, think about this. These were the disciples, the 11. They They saw Jesus. They saw him make the blind see. They saw him make the lame walk. They saw the authority of his teaching. They witnessed as he was crucified, as he died, as he was buried. They witnessed the resurrected Christ. They were standing on the mountain where Jesus directed them to go. They fell in worship. But this idea of doubted, it means they were perplexed. They still had questions. They still had doubts. What does this all mean? Where is this all going? Is there something comforting for us to know that even as a disciple, we are in process? We don't have it all figured out. We don't have all the answers. But here's the difference. Here's the difference that I've seen in the life of so many people. As a disciple of Jesus, when we have our doubts, when we have our questions, when we are perplexed by what all of this means, we can bring that under the authority of Jesus in worship of him. And saying, and with my doubts, with my questions, I worship you. This is who I am. Others have allowed their doubts, their questions to turn from Jesus to seek answers in other things. And that is not a disciple of Jesus. It is possible to have questions to have doubts and be surrendered to the authority of Jesus Christ. We bring those questions under his authority. This is what it means, and I pray that this is comforting to us to know that a disciple is someone who worships Jesus. But how? This is where the definition continues, through ongoing surrender. See, there's two parts to this definition, both the ongoing and the surrender. But in beginning with the surrender, James chapter 4 tells us that God gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves to God, surrender yourselves to Him. Romans chapter 12, and and imagine this appeal being made to us together as a church. I appeal to you, Cross Point cross point by the mercies of god present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god this is your spiritual worship to worship jesus is to surrender our lives to him this is what it what jesus says then when it's like all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me surrender is to position ourselves under the authority of Christ to saying what he declares to be true is true he is God and to worship him is to surrender to him and this is an ongoing reality here's what I mean by that there is a surrender that leads to saving faith Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Salvation is a work of God in our life. It is not an accomplishment that we achieve by ourselves. Surrender. Faith in Jesus Christ leads to salvation. But we say ongoing surrender. What does that mean? We don't believe that you can lose your salvation. What we mean by that is that the same faith that saves us sanctifies us it continually transforms us into the image of christ the one who we are called to glorify this is the entirety of of what it's saying in galatians chapter 3 that having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh the righteous shall live by faith as disciples who worship jesus We are called to an ongoing surrender to the authority of Christ in our life. We don't simply trust Jesus so we don't go to hell and then live however we want. Ongoing surrender means that that we are submitting ourselves to the authority of Christ both for our salvation. It is not by my works, but by Him and for how we grow and are transformed as a disciple. The same faith that saves us transforms us. This is critically important. Or else we turn from trusting in Jesus to works. The definition and the order, it matters, and we're going to see that more and more. It does not become an excuse to continue sinning. To surrender, we say, I am following Jesus' path for my life. But here's the thing even in the ongoing surrender, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we never fail, that we never stumble. Even the Apostle Paul in in Romans chapter 7, he's like, I do what I don't want to do, and then I'm not doing what I want to do. He's like, there's this spiritual battle at work within me. And this is the ongoing aspect of what it means to live in surrender, to continue in a life of worship of Jesus through ongoing surrender. It's imperfect. And it doesn't always mean that we're just going to be like one foot in the other, always moving forward. There's seasons where it's going to feel slow, where it's going to feel dry. There's grace in that. But a disciple, if again, if you're drawing this with me, if you're remembering like it is someone who worships Jesus, this upward facing arrow through Ongoing surrender, that downward aspect that for me, it helps me like it, You'll see me as I say the definition, I'm kind of doing motions with my hands because it really does help me remember of like, I must become less so that he becomes more. It is about worshiping him through ongoing surrender. But then you have those sidewalls that connect these two themes with obedience to God in everyday life. These are are the two sides. In the coming weeks, you're going to see like in in the definition, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what that means. But what I want to focus on here this morning, and when it says, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The order is so, so important here. It's critically important. What has come before that leads to this obedience in everyday life. Like, imagine with me for a moment, I'm giving you directions. Again, like, you, you leave the parking lot, you turn left, and now you're at the stop sign getting ready to get on Weatherby. And I tell you, like, take a right, and then at the second stoplight, turn left. Now, you're like, okay, that makes sense. But what if someone says, well, the order doesn't really matter. So you get to the stop sign and it's like, well, let's turn left. And then once we get to the second stoplight, we'll turn right and we'll get to the same place, right? No, like it would be foolishness. It's the same way with discipleship. The order of this, it is so, so critical. And I, pl- I, I, I hope that you track with me in, in what I'm trying to say here. It begins with surrender before it becomes obedience. The worship of Jesus and the ongoing surrender precedes obedience in everyday life. There is an important of obedience in the life of the Christian. John 14 verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. First John chapter 2, and, and for this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Disciples, disciples of Jesus will seek to learn and to know the commands of Jesus and walk in obedience to them not claim the name of Jesus and then follow our own path saying i have surrendered to Jesus so i don't go to hell but i'm going to live however i want that is not a disciple there is this ongoing side obedience in every aspect of our life we don't just want to surrender to god and like the small like what does it mean Like, part of why we gather is what does it mean to learn the commands of Jesus? What does it mean to walk in obedience to what Jesus has to say about our finances, about our marriages, about our parenting, about our bodies, about our sexuality, about our our desires, about our jobs, about our future, about our identity? All of these things the gospel God speaks to. And there should be a desire within us to know what He says and to walk in obedience to that. But here's the important part. There's also the importance not only of obedience, but that surrender precedes obedience. Here's why I say this. Go back to John fourteen fifteen. Think about what gets emphasized. Say, as I read it the first time, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, if your hearts have been turned to hearts of flesh, you'll obey my commandments. Do you see the difference? One could just emphasize, obey the commandments. The other say that if you love me, if you are if your affections of your heart have been transformed, you will walk in obedience. That will be the natural outcome of it obedience that is separated from surrender obedience that is separated from love of god is nothing more than a godless morality that focuses on our own obedience as the driving force of discipleship do you hear what i'm saying this is the important part here That if we just seek to obey the commands of Jesus in our own strength, divorced of living in surrendered love to Him, of surrender to Him, it is nothing but a godless morality. Be a better person. It's impossible. And I don't want us to take this for granted. Because for the last 10 to 15 years, this has been a conversation that has been ongoing in my life. Because 10 plus years ago, in the, in the community, in the missions community, there was a growing philosophy called obedience-based discipleship. It was calling unbelievers... To obey the commands of Jesus as a way of pre-evangelism, that obedience would lead to saving faith, and that obedience was seen as both the initiator and the driver, the fuel of discipleship and the mark of discipleship. In Chad, where our family served as missionaries, I hosted one of the men who spoke into this concept. He and I didn't always see eye to eye, which made some of those breakfast meals a little awkward in talking through. Last year, at the beginning of the year before COVID hit, I attended a church movement uh, conference here in Orlando. One of the main themes was obedience-based discipleship. There's elements of this that I think are great, that are useful There's also a concept here that I believe is very dangerous for the church. And it is why I am emphasizing what it means and why the order is important. Does it matter if you turn right or left first? Worshiping Jesus through ongoing surrender with obedience to God in everyday life, a heart fueled by grace It's the result, will result in God glorifying obedience. Do you see that? As our hearts are transformed, there will be obedience. Our obedience is not the fuel. It's not even the goal. It's a byproduct of a life living to the glory of God, surrendered to Him. It is... I believe a better phrase, a grace-fueled discipleship. A grace-fueled obedience. We are not saved by obedience and we do not grow by obedience. We are saved by faith in Christ, Galatians 3, and we are transformed by the same grace by which we are saved, Galatians 3. That will result in obedience. That is important. My fear is that at times obedience is minimized in the church because we live under grace. It doesn't matter how I live. Because it's all of grace anyway, I'm forgiven. And so we minimize obedience. We downplay it. The Apostle Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 6. How could it ever be? How can we say we are dead to sin and alive in Christ if, if we continue to willfully walk in sin? Are we alive to Christ or are we alive to our flesh? Obedience is important, but I fear that in our desire to uphold the value of obedience, it has become the driver. It has become the purpose. It has become the fuel. And I want to guard us in this. The order matters. A disciple is someone who worships Jesus through ongoing surrender. And that will produce within us obedience to God in everyday life. That is a calling of a disciple, but it is a byproduct of living surrendered to God. And that is made evident, even at at how the definition ends, that this is all by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the center of that diagram, that none of this is possible apart from God's work in and through us as disciples. How can we worship Jesus? spirit of God awakening our heart how can we live in ongoing surrender apart from his power at work within us how can we even desire or attempt to walk in obedience in every aspect of our lives apart from his power at work within us is all by his power This is when I hear the words, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says that before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Think about what this means. There is the command, the commission to go, to make disciples. They were worshiping Jesus and he says wait here. Until you receive power from the Holy Spirit, this is how you're going to be able to walk in obedience to all that I am commanding you. We cannot do it in our own power. It is only through His power at work within us. My desire is that every single one of us would experience this reality. that the, the fire of affection for God in your heart would be fanned into flame when we gather together in community groups, that that passion to worship Jesus, to live in ongoing surrender would be encouraged and upheld, that in humility before a holy God, that you would surrender your personal will in way to the superior purposes of God for your life. And that overwhelmed and motivated by the magnitude of God's undeserved mercy and grace towards you, that you would seek to walk in obedience. That that would be our reality. When we talk about what does it mean then to become a disciple, what does it mean to make a disciple? So what do we take from this? I want to encourage you to begin with, Would you work toward and practice memorizing this? That we would have a shared definition of what it means to be a disciple. That when we say where we're going, we all don't end up in different destinations, but we're all moving towards the same thing. That you would be able to put this into your own words, to practice it, to have this be part of your own language and culture of what it means as a disciple, the four parts, whether it helps to draw it out or just to know the four parts, that it is worshiping Jesus through ongoing surrender with obedience to God in everyday life by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this would be our shared destination on the road to transformation and following Jesus together. And I would also encourage us to use this as a framework to pray for the church. These four parts, that as we talk about it, as it becomes part, it also becomes how we pray. And rather than just talking about it, I want to close and just demonstrate how I use this personally to pray for you. This means, what it looks like, that this would be not just empty words that are forgotten, but part of a culture that shapes how we travel this road together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning, Lord, to to be in your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us be a church, a congregation, a family. This is not just a journey of individuals. This is a journey of a family traveling together. Lord, to lift up the name of Jesus in everything we say and in everything we do. Lord, may it be your name that is lifted high, the name of Jesus that is proclaimed week after week after week, that we exist to glorify You, to worship You, to have the affections of our hearts transformed, Lord. Would You fan that flame, allow it to grow and burn within us, Lord, would you help us as a congregation to walk in ongoing surrender, that the plans and purposes that you have for the church, Lord, not me, not the elders, but that we are walking in surrendered to your leading, your purposes, your plan. Lord, together we are surrendered to you. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus Christ. Help us maintain a posture of surrender to You. Lord, give us the courage we need to walk in obedience to the plans that You have for us. Let us not become comfortable or content or or just get in a rut of what is seen as normal. Lord, when You are spurring us on to good works for Your glory in our community, Lord, give us the, the courage to step out in faith and walk in obedience as a congregation. Lord, would you renew us? Would you strengthen us? Would you empower us to be your witnesses in our community, Lord? May we not rely on our own strength, on our own wisdom, but may we truly believe that it is only by the power of your Spirit at work in and through us It is not by great wise words. It's not by passionate pleas. It's not by any great strategy. It is only by the power of Your Spirit at work. So Lord, lead us into a deeper dependence, not on our own wisdom and not on our own ways, but throwing ourselves fully on Your mercy. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.